Harrison Price for Wednesday, November 1st, 2023. We're coming to you from the GoGo Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee, and that's here at the iconic Wall Center downtown Vancouver, where if you're heading to a game in downtown Vancouver, and there are some big ones this week in a BC place, also across the street, make it a staycation. Call the Wall Center, 604-331-1000. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price, Grace Asset, and Switches, conducting things, the show presentation of Applewood Auto Group celebrating 25 years. We're right now at Applewood Nissan Richmond, Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Surrey. Finance the 23 Rogue from 3.99%. Lease or finance the 23 or 24 Leaf from 6.99%. And Infinity in the Richmond Auto Ball, the gorgeous QX60, can speak from personal experience. Magnificent vehicle. It can lease it from 2.99% because, Blake Price? It's all good. At Applewood. Poll question today. We are asking you, one month into the season, after October, who's most likely to win an NHL award? Thatcher Demko, Quinn Hughes, Elise Pettersson, or Rick Tockett? You can vote at SicarisonPrice.com. And Blake, I voted for Rick Tockett. We had talked in the preseason that the Jack Adams is an attainable award for Tockett, a new coach taking a non-playoff team to the postseason would be a proven formula for uh, Mm -hmm. Jack Adams. Yeah. And nine games into the season, 6-2-1, the sixth best team in the NHL by points percentage, second place in the Pacific, off to their best nine-game start in 18 years. He can do no wrong. More on that in the welcome at coming up. Uh, Yeah, I mean, everything is coming up roses right now for this team. The, The best players are the best players. The the coach seems to have the support players, despite counting stats being low, and we talked about that over the course of the last few shows. Um, they're still buying in. The system is still being played by those uh, role players, even if their counting stats aren't necessarily um, where a lot of people would like them to be. And you know, their their eggs are being they're not laying a bunch of eggs. They had those early. They lost two of them. They won one of them incredibly. Last night wasn't an egg to their own admission. wasn't a great game, but they found a way to pull it out of the fire with a good period. I mean that I'm not going to say that Sedin era good, but the, you know that was the mo <laughs> of the Sedin era. Is, yeah. uh, if we play the third, we'll be fine. They played a good third and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thatcher Demko was very good as per usual. You know, that's part of the best players being the best players. I mean, it's it's looking really, really good. One month does not a season make, but um, it buys you some time for the next month. Now, now this month, hey, if they're merely 500 in the month of November, mm-hmm. that won't feel like as good a month. But guess what? They'll still be four games above 500 at the end of November, and they'll still be putting themselves in a good position to make the playoffs. A 5-3 victory over Nashville. They're second over the Predators in a week. They've already won the season series against a team that last year was right there in their neck of the woods on on the outside of the playoffs looking in. Blake, when uh, play started yesterday, there were five teams that had missed the postseason last year who were sitting on playoff spots. The Canucks and Predators were two of those five. And the Canucks have points in five straight games. They did that just once last year when they reeled off that five-game winning streak in March. Of course, Elias Pettersson and his hat trick, the big story here. 
alongside JT Miller's benching. More on that in a second. Pedersen, uh, his first home ice hat trick, and he joked that he he made sure not to miss the empty net this time around. Of course, he, he missed a couple cracks last <laughs> week in, in Music City. That second goal, though, is his second goal. Uh, to me, that was quintessential Elias Pedersen because, you know, the puck comes over towards him. He's thinking about that big one-timer, and we've seen that be so effective as a weapon. And yet the hockey IQ is so high that he senses he's got a good screen there from Brock Besser and that he has time and space. So he eschews the one-timer, he controls the puck, he takes a look, and then fires an accurate shot. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what a superstar does, you know, right? Slow the game down. You're all going to play at my pace, and I'm going to take a look and see what's happening here before I make any puck decisions. it, It was a marvelous night. It, for Petey, it wasn't we'll hear his. From him here it wasn't his unbridled shot either, right? Mm-hmm. Like so often in the early portion of his career, first couple of years, that wrist shot can be so good, but it's not necessarily going exactly where he wants. It seems like he's now found like the eighty-five percentile wrist shot that he can put exactly where he wants, uh, rather than the hope and the prayer and missing the and missing that. Not that he's mm-hmm. got a wild shot, but I think he. he we haven't seen him need mm-hmm. A, the one-timer, or B, that wicked wrister to score mm-hmm. goals yet. He's just scoring goals, putting them where he wants them. I, uh, I hesitate to use this name given the context, but it's a little bit Mark Messier, right? You remember Messier and how he used the pinpoint accuracy yeah. where yeah. he was able to put pucks? Uh, Marcus Naslin, too. Mark- All right. Yeah. Good, good shout. Uh, so let's hear from Elias Pettersson because uh, he acknowledges that 6-2-1, and one, they're having more fun. Uh, we're definitely having more fun. It's uh, more fun being this side of or over 500. So um, it's good. Uh, everyone's happy, but we uh, can't be satisfied. We've got to continue. Uh, yeah, be humble about it. Well, uh, unquestionably, winning breeds fun and unquestionably can't be satisfied because, as Coach Tockett will tell you, that was hardly the type of game he was looking for. He even talked about how he's got to get back. We've got to get back to our identity Thursday against San Jose. And, you know, here's the other thing. As great as this start is for Pedersen, as as, um, interesting and and, uh, fun as it's going to be tracking things like where he stands amongst the NHL's leading scorers, and right now only his... Captain's brother, Jack Hughes, is above him in league scoring. The flip side of the coin here, Mr. Price, is that every game like that makes him a little more expensive to re-sign on an extension. This was the dangerous game that the Canucks were playing all the way back with that bridge deal is, what if he explodes and becomes one of the best players in hockey? Well... That's kind of happening before our eyes. So, and it's floating league or you know uh, team play. Like Matt, if he's got all these individual stats, but the team is, you know, three, four, and two after nine games, I don't think the Canucks would feel as behind the eight ball here. The fact that his great play has led to great team play. You know, from the negotiation standpoint, they're happy that they are where they are. But from the negotiation, it's the worst case scenario because he's very clearly been the catalyst to winning. Oh, yeah. Now, 
as and we are getting to the Miller benching, believe you me. But the uh, the Canucks looked in the early going like, ah, we destroyed this team last week, so we can just go out and play the we way we want to play. Like, we don't have to worry about structure. or that. And the early goal added to that. The first goal added to that, too. They're just oh, like, oh, no here question. we go. Here we no go. No question. It yeah, started. Exactly. Yeah. And as we've talked about, this team has had in the past a little bit, you know, Bigford's britches syndrome. A little too early onset, frankly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They give up the early penalty shot. And by the way, John Shannon is so right about the standard on penalty shots now. Wasn't I mean, that perfect? We talked about handing, it yesterday. We're handing them out like we did uh, candy at the door last night. That you get good. a penalty shot and you get a penalty shot. That was incredible timing. If, folks, if no. you missed it yesterday, we, yeah. we talked about the proliferance mm-hmm. of penalty shots and right. boom, there is one that Well, night. two players this year already have two. Yeah. A month into the season. You could go a career and not get two penalty shots in the old. Anyways, there's the penalty shot. <laughs> there's zone exits, which seems to be a problem. You've got defensemen. Like, there was a sequence last night where Philip Ronick passes to Quinn Hughes for a shot opportunity, cross ice in the offensive zone, and they're the two deepest Vancouver Canucks. Like, two defensemen are down by the dots, and the three forwards are hanging back, which probably is something that Talkett and Foot and the coaching staff endorses. Yeah, they're going to go up and try and score on a... Uh, a two-man passing play between two defensemen deep in the zone. Sure, you better get back. So it was, I mean, two shots through the first 15, 16 minutes of the second period. And one of them went in with Pedersen. But. So here's Pedersen on uh, the formula last night. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, it's good to get, I don't know, def- different kinds of wins uh, and wins when we haven't played our worst usually or maybe previous year we haven't won these games uh but now we get good goaltending i think we're defending ourselves better but yeah definitely a little off game today well he's right about that as everybody said that's a game that last year the vancouver canucks lose and like the best part about it is that that wasn't thank you thatcher stand on your head thatcher no, That's, but it, it was thank you, Thatcher, for keeping us alive late so that we can fix our stuff and come back and win this game. It was that. <laughs> and that's what Google Tanning provides you, as he said. Yep. Well, they won without their best stuff last night, and that's not something we've seen a lot of from these Vancouver Canucks. Okay, the Miller benching. And let's play the Rick Tockett clip, and then let's come back and discuss. Here's Tockett on the Miller benching, and uh, what was said in the second I intermission? Love I love Millsy. I mean, he's been he's played unreal hockey for me. Um, I felt at the time for he needed to sit for four minutes. It could have been JT. It could have been anybody. And um, you know, accountability. And uh, he responds with a goal. And I think he, you know, he's fine. What was his reaction, especially in the intermission? In the what? During the intermission. Uh, he was good. He was fine. He came up to me and talked to me, and you know, apologized, and I apologized to him. You know, we went at it. I love the kid. I got no problems with JT Miller. So a few things there. Number one, I love how he says he's played great hockey for me. He draws the personal bond, right? Like mm-hmm. he's very much trying to be on JT on team JT Miller. You know, I'm your mentor, but I'm also your tough love guy from time to time. And I love how you know we apologize. Yeah, we went at it. Of course, they went at it. You think JT Miller was going quietly into the <laughs> intermission after being benched? And 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 uh, with all due respect to coach, he sort of. A little bit under on the uh, 
time there. It was more like a seven-minute benching than it was a four-minute benching. He, I mean, he, we might be reading into his choice of words of we went at it. He might have meant we addressed it, but it might not no, have been. It's hard we to know. went at it is probably. It's hard to know. But honestly, this might be the, uh, the moment that I, I bond with Rick Tockett as well because I have said this on this show, and I don't pat myself on the back a lot here, but I'm going to. I've said this on this show about a number of coaches – League-wide and, and on the Vancouver Canucks. Generally, benching, like a, like a full, like you, you screwed up midway, you're playing terribly here midway through the second period, you're done for the night. Like you're just hurting yourself, like when it's yeah. a good player. Like it's just stupid well, in a lot of ways. Like On, on two levels, tactically, yeah. in-game, yeah. and then secondly, big picture, because you're more disposable than the star player. Right. That's why you don't see it. That's why, and I know a lot of fans like to think, oh, the coach has to set the rules for the whole team and they all apply equally to everybody. That's just not the case with modern-day pro sports. Yeah, Some guys are way more valuable than others, and coaches have adopted that because they understand it's going to be their ass on the unemployment line if, in fact, they do apply everything. Now, over history, guys equally. like OEL and Louis Erickson, doesn't matter. They're not impa- they're, they weren't impact players. You're, you're, you're benching them or you're healthy scratching them because... They're just not good. But in the case of this, this is not a case of a guy who's not good. No. He's very good. He's having a very tough start to his night. But th- those kinds Amidst of players. It's a great season, yes, too. And those kinds of players, they'll get a message pretty damn quick. So a six-and-a-half-minute benching mm-hmm. feels like forever, I'm sure, for JT Miller. And Blake, he's the first shift out in the third period. Yeah. He's the first penalty-killing shift. He draws the penalty. He scores the goal in the third period. It was the good cop, good cop, bad cop routine. You know, like he played bad cop with him, and then good cop. The spot he picked was perfect because it was the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, the second minor in that double minor that got him to that place. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing: the initial call on the hook is terrible. Forsberg grabs his stick. He does, but it's late. I think it's a call anyway. I think it's okay. I didn't think. I think as soon as the offensive player grabs the defensive player's stick and brings it into his body and holds it there. It's the old chicken wing. Yeah. No, uh, I, I didn't see it like that. I, to me, it's a hook, and, and Forsberg's like, whoa, the stick's here. I'm getting this out of here. I'm grabbing it. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I didn't think it was a great penalty. But regardless, it's just a, it's just your garden variety hook right. anyway. So it's not punishable so by the coach. Here's the thing. The first error, the first penalty, it's not one we want but we understand that those penalties are going to happen. happen. Yeah, absolutely. It's the second penalty that we absolutely can't have because nobody wants a double minor to begin with. Secondly, JT, you're one of our penalty killers. You're one of our face-off guys. And this penalty kill, while improved, is still not is all worlds. still not all that good. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, then there's another penalty after that. So and it, it is also a frustration penalty. Didn't like the engagement. Got the stick up. Stick hit the face. That one's automatic. You know you're going to get that one. So, And then the, the other thing that's, I think, ingenious about the spot that Talk had picked. I mean, it was Monday he was talking about, I got to get McKayev more on the penalty kill because I can't play PD and JT as much as I did. So it's kind of an artificial way of keeping the minutes down too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice byproduct of the bigger decision. Now, all of this is true. Everything we just said. Remains true, holds firmly. It's on solid ground. If JT Miller moves on and it's his first eight game self, right, right. 
Now, don't like the ducking yeah. of the media after the game or this morning in a scheduled appearance he had on radio. Don't love that. Like That sounds like there's a hangover effect, and I hope that's mm-hmm. not the case. I hope he's wow. moved on. I hope coaches moved on, and, and we just uh, see it. So put it slate. this way. I would certainly hope that's JT Miller too proud to give us fucking media guys the satisfaction, which he has talked about in the past. Of knowing that he learned a lesson? Right. Yes, maybe. Uh, of, of having to cop to yes. More than it is something that lingers with the coaching. Regardless, staff. I hope he's able to put that behind if, him. Too. If it's category B, mm-hmm. then you've got a huge problem on your hands. So we'll see. He seems to have because turned that over went English. just about as perfectly as it, as could be expected. Like yeah, it did, and it was it for was, him and the team and the coach. It was dreamt about when when Taka was brought in. So pe- if, people thought maybe, oh, is this the guy to control JT Miller? We didn't really have to see a ton of examples of that in the second half of last year. It, it, meaningless games, it, you know. This yeah. is a perfect example right. of it. So if it lingers, if there's recriminations from here, if he can't park that and move on, if he's holding a grudge, wow, I'm not sure what you do. But my sense is that it's probably over and they're moving well, when forward you score, and moving forward positive. When, when you, you score think, in the third period, to me, that's vindication. Think, right. We've showered it off, if you will, and we're moving on. Right. Uh Quinn Hughes with three assists last night, incidentally. I mean, we just, night after night, we sit there and we watch Genius, and some nights it's down the pecking order of storylines. He's finally on the ice for not one but two goals. And but yet he still turned the puck over, was chiefly responsible for one of those goals. But he still recovers enough to Mm -hmm. finish the night with a better plus minus than he started. I know. And Anthony Beauvillier with two assists last night, and he's been better. We were talking yesterday about which guy in the bottom six is due for a breakout. We talked about Beauvillier. He's been a streaky guy in the past. He looked better last night for the Canucks as well. And incidentally, he was up to 250 points in the National Hockey League. He's done so in the 12th fewest games amongst defensemen in league history and among active defensemen. Just Only second, yeah. Kale McCarr has gotten to 250 points in fewer games than Quinn Hughes. And uh, Pedersen up to a 146-point pace. Drawn four penalties this year, hasn't taken any. So add the Lady Bing <laughs> on, top of, <laughs> yeah, that's right. on top of all the other hardware that we're talking about. Okay. On to the BC Lions, who host the West Division semifinal Saturday at 3.30. BC plays against the Calgary Stampeders. They announced yesterday, Tuesday, they are opening the Upper Bowl. And Blake, the fourth time this season the Upper Bowl is open for the Leos, the sixth time since the beginning of last season that they've opened the Upper Bowl. We're going to have Amar Doman on the show tomorrow, and he talks about all these matters. CFL Player Awards, the finalists came down today. We know that Mathieu Betts and Sean White will be at Grey Cup. Betts is the West Division nominee for top defensive player, most outstanding defensive player. White Rock, Sean White, the West nominee for most outstanding special teams player. Quite frankly, I think both guys can win. So we're talking Canucks hardware. I think we're going to see some Lions hardware. Jalen Edwards-Cooper on the corner and Keenan LaFrance, the fine special teamer and backup running back, 
did not practice yesterday. But really, BC has no injury excuse here this weekend. No. As we chronicled with the Stampeders yesterday, I mean, damn near a third to half their starting outfit is injured based on what they wanted to do at the start of the year. I mean, four DBs, three receivers, like the Stampeders are just ravaged by injuries. They've got a second football team on the one game or six game. They really do. They really do. Tickets for this game start at $30 for adults, $15 for youth 17 and under. The Backyard Brunch will start on the plaza at noon, and we're giving away Two pairs of tickets here, everybody. Text hashtag Lions to 778-402-9680. Last chance here because we will be picking and announcing the winners on Thursday's program. Whitecaps. And lo and behold, guess who else is opening the upper bowl for Sunday's big playoff match? LAFC. Lead the best of three MLS uh, playoff series, Western Conference playoff series, one net nail after their victory back home on the weekend. This is a 4.30 kickoff on Sunday. It's a good time. LA is what opens the upper bowl, apparently. This is the first time in the MLS era they've opened. It's the first time since David Beckham opened the upper bowl. In his pink boots. You remember that? Yes, against then USL or A League version of the Whitecaps. I forget. No, no, the MLS version. No, no, that was a. They were A League when they when they faced Beckham and opened the upper bowl. Well, we certainly saw him here in MLS play because I remember Barry Robson getting in his yes, kitchen. Yes, upper bowl not open for that one though. Oh no, 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 really? Yeah, oh, really. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they only opened the upper bowl on that initial foray. It ah. was an exhibition game up against the again. I'm going to say USL. Yeah, I think, it's I think it was USL. We're giving away a four pack of tickets to the Whitecaps match on Sunday. Text hashtag Whitecaps to seven seven eight four zero two ninety six eighty. The Great Clips text message inbox. Your chance to win. We'll be announcing the winner there on Friday. I saw the Caps tweet. Your top pick among the nominees for their player of the year, I mean, I think it's going to be Ryan Gold, right? Yes. So, of the three others, and feel free to go off the board, but Andres Kubis, Ranko Veselinovic, Brian White, who would be your silver medalist there? For MVP? Yeah. Is it White? I think you have to go White. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's harder to pin down in soccer because there's fewer goals. And, of course... Like, Veselinovic has been damn good this year. I think he was my MVP for the team last year. Was he? Yeah, I think he was. Because a lot of what he does isn't going to necessarily stand out as much as yeah. the Brian White header goals or the Ryan Gold creating goals. Yeah. But he's, uh, I mean, I shudder to think what would be of their back, back line without him. Remember how much of a problem that was for yeah. several years? And he's really being the been the steadying force there. I think in the offseason they're going to try to find another one of him. I think they have to. Yeah. Or they have to improve the keeping. Or, and hear me out here, mm-hmm. do both. Yeah. Yeah, I could. So anyways, huge weekend at BC Place. Very much looking forward to two playoff matches. And of course, uh, after this foray in San Jose tomorrow, uh, Thursday night, the Canucks are back home at Rogers Arena on Saturday against a very good Dallas Stars team. Uh, I know a lot of people believe that the Dallas Stars are a... Uh, 
contender here in the West, that if it isn't Vegas, that if it isn't Colorado, that they may be the third choice. They're off to a hell of a start. Mm-hmm. Something else we want to note today. I want to thank our buddy Hart Levine of Puckpedia and the puzzle master at Puckdoku. They uh, reached out to us a few weeks back and said, hey, uh, we're getting uh, we're getting uh, folks in the hockey world to serve as guest puzzle masters with us. Would you mind taking a, a go at this? And so Blake and Grady and I put our heads together and said, okay, well, what's our theme going to be? And we said it should be something, you know, it should be something inherent to Vancouver and the Canucks and, you know, what we cover on a day-to-day basis. Uh, but, of course, it has to branch out a little more because you need f- three other teams involved in the Puckdoku puzzle. So we decided, well, why don't we go with the theme of cupless? We're still waiting for our first Stanley Cup here, 53 years into the Canucks NHL experiment. And so the Puzzle Master worked with us on a puzzle that included the Vancouver Canucks, their expansion cousins, of course, the Buffalo Sabres, There were 11 teams right now in the NHL that have never won the Stanley Cup. I said, hey, can you throw the modern-day Senators in there? Because covered them back in the day. Minnesota got in there. And then our special category, and this one took some back and forth, because our initial thought was, which I don't even remember what our initial thought was for the special category. It's changed so much. But it had to fit into the theme of cupless. Well, we wanted league-wide. It wasn't necessarily through a pure Canucks lens. It was... Well, that one has to be league-wide, right? Like yes. That, that's one that isn't team-specific. Yeah, so we, we thought, you know, who who's the, the saddest amongst the players individually? You've, you've told the line, played so long in the NHL, mm-hmm. and have little to show for it. Mm-hmm. So we wanted a lot of games. We wanted very little playoffs. Yes, and we had to find the fair line there. Well, we had to find a fair line to draw because initially the puzzle master came to us and was like, how about this number of games? thousand games in the NHL and less than 10 playoff games. And then we realized that is one player. <laughs> then we bumped it up to 40. And puzzle master came back and said, it's only this number of players. Say 12? Oh, whatever. Yeah, I think it was no, 12. I, I think it was even less. Yeah. Maybe nine? Yeah. And we said, no, that's way too hard. Like, we don't want it to be too, too hard. So we settled on a 1,000 games played in the NHL with less than 50 Stanley Cup playoff games. And ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't done the puzzle yet, we have uh, already hinted on Twitter, there are nine Vancouver Canucks, ex-Vancouver Canucks, who fit into the 1,000 games played. Yeah. Less than 50 postseason games in their career. None of them are active, although one was recently. Oh, I shouldn't say that. One of them is active because he just signed a contract this week. Wow. Tipping the hands. Well. There's also Vancouver residents that are listed (laughs) as well. Yes. That was the first one that I got. Anyway, so have fun with Puck Doku today. We certainly had a blast putting all of this, putting all of this together. And thanks again to Hart and everybody at Puckpedia and Puck Doku for playing, uh, for allowing us to play in their reindeer games today. 
Let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by Greta. If you haven't been to Greta, fantastic spot, especially with all the games coming up this weekend. Catch all the action. They're there on Cordova downtown throughout the season, the playoffs, and a place to chill in the offseason. We'll talk to Frankie Corrado today. He gives us some breakdowns of what he's seeing, the X's and O's, of what Talkit wants. I, he addresses the JT Miller benching. Talked to him about the poll question and the game last night. Chris Faber, ah, Faber. It's like we hardly knew you on yeah, this show. Of course, yeah. we've known Chris forever. He was at one point the most regular contributor to our old radio show. He's off to work for Canuck Sports Entertainment. As everyone knows, this will be his final hit with us. He's doing rink-wide tomorrow with Jeff. So we talked to Chris uh, about these awards that Canucks are tracking, about JT Miller, of course, his prospect of the week, and about the new gig that he's going into with the Canucks. We'll do some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, plus a new partner to announce later in the program. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing Neighborhood Brewing Workshop Spirits. And the weather's getting a little cooler, but we're still pretending we're thriving in the summer. That's summer heat with Workshop Spirits. Ombre margarita. Hi there, hard lemon iced tea. And hi there, our peach iced tea. We'll keep you feeling tropical all year long. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a Yellow Dog neighborhood or workshop spirit. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here. Right now. If you're looking for reasons why the Vancouver Canucks are off to their best nine-game start in 18 years, the star players, well, of course, they deserve some shine. So does the head coach. Rick Tockett has the Midas touch right now, evident by his benching of JT Miller Tuesday night and the third-period response he got from his fiery centerman. Miller sat the final six minutes and changed the second, came back to draw a penalty and score a goal in a 5-2 win over the Nashville Predators. That was the most pronounced coaching move to work out this season. But Tockett and his staff have accumulated a long list already here of successful moves. The changes that have been made to the power play that's using motion more effectively and sits sixth in the National Hockey League. The use of the Hughes-Ronick pairing. And you got to give them credit for their adaptability, flexibility there. That wasn't a thing in preseason. They put them together. They were the last defensive pair in the NHL to surrender a goal this year. They did so last night. And, of course, he's been using them to boost the defensive prowess of the JT Miller matchup line. Also brilliant stuff. How about the use of backup goaltender Casey DeSmith? He's gotten far more starts than we expected already. He's keeping Thatcher Demko fresh. They're getting the best out of both netminders. Brock Besser, it's a hot start. 10 points, 9 games after changing his off-season training at the behest of the head coach. The empowerment of this leadership group under new captain Quinn Hughes. And then the honesty, even if it's tough love, with players, fans, and media. Building trust, both with personal relationships inside Rogers Arena and with the market at large. This week, Talkin noted that players are now coming to the coaching staff asking for individual video sessions, and that's an exercise that players often loathe. 
He was also given a vote of confidence from JT Miller, pre-benching. Take a listen. There was a lot of holes before uh, the staff got here, and so it's uh, they were. Um, I know Rick and his staff have been last year's kind of learning on the, you know, teaching on the fly, which is hard to do when we're playing almost every night in the last half of the year. Um, so obviously that there was some stuff implemented in the summer that we were to expect and kind of hit the ground running with what he brought in last year helped a lot in having a whole camp and everybody get in early and knowing what to expect with, uh, with the system stuff. You know, every, every team plays pretty much, you know, relatively the same way. It's just a couple here, decisions and reads here and there. So um, we're just trying to get it down. We want to get it uh, to where it becomes habit for our team, and I think we're, uh, we're getting better at it the more we practice. Look, there was ample criticism of the Canucks handing the reins to talk it last year when they did. And I was amongst them. What was the rush to bring in a head coach who had a losing record in two previous NHL stops? Of course, there was the gross mishandling of Bruce Boudreaux's termination, but also the new coach bump and how it hurt their chances of landing North Van's Connor Bedard in the draft lottery. The trade-off was getting Tockett, his systems, standards, expectations, and accountability in early and getting that head start that Miller spoke of. There were many skeptics that whatever took place last season, mostly meaningless games, could take root and carry over to this season. Well, at 6-2-1, we have our answer. Canucks management got this one right, and right now, Tockett can do no wrong. That's welcome out for today. We invite your feedback, feedback channels as follows on email live at securesomeprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680, the Great Clips text message inbox. And on Twitter, I'm at Securus, at Price. Welcome out a presentation of Great Clips, 37 salons in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, all of them proudly Canadian-owned and operated. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, they've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Drive a legend. The Kia Sportage. It's been around forever. Why? It's a great vehicle. Go take one for a test drive at Applewood. Applewood Kia in Surrey and Langley. And you can finance it for 5.99% right now. It's all good at Applewood. Our poll question today, we're asking you after one month, who's on track for an NHL award? Is it Thatcher Demko? The Vesna, Quinn Hughes, the Norris, Elias Pettersson, and there's almost too, almost too many awards to name there. <laughs> that by my, by Beauty. default might just be yeah. The answer. Or Rick Tockett for the Jack Adams vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter. With TSN hockey analyst and former Vancouver Canuck, Mister Frank Corrado. How are we doing, Frankie? I'm good. I'm very. I'm. I'm hearing things are very good on the West Coast, and I think it's appropriate. I think it's appropriate for a number of reasons, none of which have to do with the product on the ice, which has been very good. But based on the fact that I will be returning to Vancouver this Friday to play in the Canucks Autism Network Charity Tournament out Whoa. in Surrey, and I, I know there's been some dark days the last few years, but I know when I first got to the city. The team was a great team in great shape. 
There were some dark years, but I'm returning to the city with the Canucks uniform on this weekend, and I can't help but think that's the only reason why. I hope you sense my sarcasm. Yeah, well, I was going to say to steal a line, finally, Frank Corrado has come back to Vancouver. Uh, We can't wait to see you here. That is finally in town. Great Frank Corrado Canucks asset management. Finally. That's right. Back back in the green and blue. Like, I have, you got to think we're wearing Canucks colors this weekend, right? Well, maybe one side's in green and blue, the other side's in black, yellow, Mm -hmm. and red. I don't know what the format is. Frank? I don't know. Like, the day you were claimed on waivers by the Leafs and left town, was that the last time you were here? No, because I returned with the Leafs uh, twice, returned with the right. Penguins. Um, oh. But yeah, and you know what I never knew? I never knew what was going on in the visitor's room in Vancouver. Did you know that the visiting team gets like this assortment of homemade like beef jerkies? Have you yes, ever heard about John, this? I think John brings that in, doesn't he? He yeah. brings yeah. it in. And, yeah, and yeah. I said I said hi to him a million times when I played for the Canucks. Hey, how's it going? All this stuff. Had no idea this existed until I came back with the Leafs. And I said, like, what's what's going on? Why has this been? Why has this eluded me for so long? Is like this is this is just for the visiting team. Well, Johnny's a legend there. Working the uh, visitors' room for years and years. As a matter of fact, we went to Friday's game with your friend Piero Minetta right there, right behind the visitors' bench. Uh, we caught up with Johnny. In fact, Piero bought uh, Johnny some candy from the uh, concession stand. And then Piero told us the story that you gave his son Francesco a stick once or upon tried a time. To, tried to. When you were a rookie. But then the, okay. you, got a stir, you got a stern look from a, from a uh, an NHL official, so you had to alligator arm it back because you were afraid I, of getting in trouble. I could see that. I could see that <laughs> being the case. I think something happened along the way where I just kind of thought, like, we just sticks. No pro. Here you go. Who wants yeah. a stick? You know what I mean? You ask no problem. And then I, I kind of learned it's like, yeah, you can't really just hand them out like that. Like you got to pick your spots a little bit. So we learned, we learned along the way and we're better for it. Uh, what did you make of the game last night? Very good game. Uh, very good. I, I thought I had a great performance and there's so many things that happen in that game, like little subplots, whether it's the JT Miller benching, like Quinn Hughes doing his thing again, Elias Pettersson, kind of leading the charge up front. Um, I just think like when I when I watch the team play right now, I can understand what they're trying to do. I understand the schemes. I understand what they're thinking on the ice. You're not going to execute every single time, but I, I get an appreciation for the fact that they're going out there with a plan and more often than not, they're executing on it. And, uh, I mean, listen, let's be honest. Nashville coming into the season, I think a lot of people had lumped into a category with the Canucks. I don't know if you wanted to put like yeah, Nashville, sure. St. Louis, Vancouver, kind of in that middle ground. Vancouver's head and shoulders above Nashville. They are a much better team. They're, they're not in that category. And they showed that last night. Um, number of great individual performances, which has always been the case with the Canucks, even over the last few years. Like you get a lot of those individual performances. But as a team, um, they are just much sharper, much, much more crisp. And when things go awry in a game, it's nice to know that you have a little something to kind of default to, to, to manage kind of momentum waves. And they look good. Like, they look very good right now. So um, answer me this. And one of your great gifts, my friend, is as a communicator, someone who can take uh, hockey stuff and make it digestible for the average hockey fan. And we're seeing you're doing that with these Twitter breakdown videos. More on those in a second. But when you say, I understand what they're trying to do, I understand the scheme and everything, tell us, dumb it down for us, what are they trying to do out there? What's the plan? 
I think, okay, so a lot of it starts off a face-off, right? Everyone knows, like, you need to have a plan going into a face-off. So you have to have probably two or three things that you can execute on when it's a defensive zone face-off that you, you think can get you out of the zone and with possession and get you going offensively. When, when I see them, there's there's not a lot of, like, guesswork. I, I feel like they know what they want to do. They execute it. I did a video on that the other day. It's called the... Uh, strong side reverse they executed great and Sam Lafferty got a chance on that so that's one thing but I just think it's one of those things where there's certain cues on the ice where if a forward let's say has the puck in the offensive zone and he starts skating towards the defenseman it's like something clicks in the defenseman's head where he knows he's got two options now he's either going to slide to the middle of the ice to try and bring the person who's covering him over a little more create a little bit of space or he's going to jump through and see if he can create something that way and then the next person sees that and they're like, now I need to take the middle of the ice. So it's just, I just feel like there's a few more cues on the ice that players can pick up on. So you add layers of support to it and you're still going to have breakdowns. Like I think the Tyler Myers one last night where he gets caught and it goes to the, it, it turns into a penalty shot. Like I would like to see him just kind of be a little more patient there. You know what I mean? Like the pass gets made early. He thinks he's going to hope and go out there with his 14 foot hockey stick and kind of disrupt it. But he probably should just – so there's going to be breakdowns, but it's fewer and further between, and they're further away from the net, and they're not leading to, like, these glorious grade-A chances, like these barrage of chances that we've seen the last few years. So uh, it's just – I think they're they're on the same page more often than not, and I give Rick Tockett a lot of credit and the players for kind of buying in and executing. They got away with one on game two of the season. Game three and four weren't great. But since then, they've been in every game. They've been dominating some games. To now the point where last night, they're kind of even really in shots on goal and and pressure. And they take that as a loss last night almost. They come away with a 5-2 scoreline. And there's a lot of criticism from within the their own dressing room about how they played. Um, I mean, you don't want to be too self-deprecating, but... But is that a good sign, Frank, that they hold themselves to a much – is the bar that much raised now where they win 5-2 to two and they, they walk off the ice going, we still did not play very well here tonight? Yeah, the, the bar has been raised, and I would say that just leads to, like, the belief that there is in the group that there is a, a higher standard for what they're able to do. And I think, like, you create that evidence yourself by how you play. So when, when you go out there and you know, okay – you, you have this one game or this stretch of games where you're like, guys, that's the standard for our group. Let everyone know, like in this room, outside of this room, that's what we can play like. And when you don't achieve that standard, of course, you want to win games because that goes back to the old adage of like, you know, good teams find ways to win no matter what. Or the old cliche where it's, uh, you know, good teams can beat you any different kind of way. So if you want to be a good team, you're going to have to win when you don't necessarily have your A stuff. And that's when you you lean on your star players to have those great individual flashes of brilliance along the way. But I agree. Like, I think it's one of those things where, you know, the, the Fabro goal, the Dante Fabro goal last night, I would imagine when they're doing their video, that's the first clip today. And it's like, okay, how do we how do we address this situation moving forward? You're going to have the good times reels going, right? You're going to have the Pedersen loop. You're going to give everyone their flowers at the end of the video session. But it's like, this is business first. And we can we can kind of like digest and go through all the great things afterwards. Because, you know, I looked at that play and I'm like, all right, that's one of those ones where maybe you need a little tightening up. Because you haven't seen that very much. They broke you in the middle of the ice. Now the defenseman, like, he had the puck twice in the middle of the ice, and, and it kind of got scattered where it's like, 
just go to that guy, force him to make the pass to the outside, and let Demko kind of look at it on one side of the ice instead of having to decipher, is DiGiuseppe going to block it? Is Nyquist, is it going to hit him? Which way do I slide? And we saw him get you know caught sliding the other way. It's like, let's force... Once it's to the middle, we got to funnel to the side. I think that's the, the main takeaway on that one. But you're right. Like, if you're getting into the nitpicking kind of stuff, I think that's very encouraging for your group because you're talking about smaller things now and not massive things that are, like, very obvious in a game. One of the things that's been very instructive to uh, us and our audience, Frank, is your time with Rick Tockett and being able to speak knowing uh, f- uh, about the man on the ice and, and what he asked for and off the ice in the video sessions and understanding what he's asking for. He seems to have a Midas touch right now. I'd like to know your thoughts on the benching of JT Miller, the spot he picked, the way he brought him back, and the response from the player himself. Yeah, it's it's so hard to buy into this notion when you're a player. But every once in a while, whether it's a benching or a healthy scratch, and JT Miller's not in the healthy scratch category, let's make that very clear, But sometimes a coach or a GM will tell you, you just need a little reset. Don't think of it as a punishment. You just need a reset. And automatically, like me, the first thing that goes through my head is like, screw you. I don't need a reset. Don't say that to me. I'm fine. Right? But there's certain guys that can hear that and say, yeah, you know what? I'm just running hot and I I, I can do it. I, I just need the reset. It's all good. You know, I'll find it for you here. I think JT Miller might be the latter. Like, I think he might be one of those guys where it's like, oh, man, yeah, I am running hot out there. You know, that was a little undisciplined. I'm, I, you know, give me a little time and I'll, I'll get it sorted out here. So kudos to him for that. I, I know at times JT Miller runs hot and, and you think maybe it lacks maturity. But I think the way he responded last night shows a lot of maturity. Uh, so give him credit. And I think Talkit has this way of communicating where, First of all, he has a lot of credibility because he was a player. He's been through the grind. He understands that. And he's not asking you to do something that he doesn't know you can do. Like, he's not asking you to do something that's out of your wheelhouse, which I think is very important. Um, you know, and I think coaches sometimes have unreal, unrealistic expectations for players, whether it's on the ice or, you know, just even their mentality and mindset around the room and stuff like that. But like he's not one of those guys. Like whatever's in your wheelhouse, that's what he's asking for you. He knows you can find a way to do it. Um and it comes from a place of understanding what it's like to be a player, which I think is very important for guys. There's a certain level of credibility where you you leave a conversation with him and you're like, that's a guy who's been through it, understands it, knows what he's talking about as opposed to some guys where you're like, that guy's kind of a fraud. You know, like he just it's it's disingenuous, and I I don't I don't think he even knows me at all. Talkit is not that that guy. He's he's as genuine and authentic as it gets. We're asking on our poll question about trophies for this coming year, and and Talkit we we predicted at the outset Talkit was uh, a likely long list candidate because taking a an you know a slightly below average team and making them slightly above average uh, generally gets you a long way in in, in that sort of uh, recognition. Um, so he's he's on our list, and maybe your vote goes that way. The other guys are obvious: the goalie, the defenseman, the forward. The thing with with the three players that we've got listed, Frank, it doesn't look like they're even trying that hard at this point. Like Demko's not standing on his head; looks spectacular. Quinn Hughes looks like he's out for a Sunday jog, and he's doing what he's doing. And Elias Pettersson, he's getting three points, playing kind of good. Like it's 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 unbelievable. Like if they ever do find another level, 
I don't know what even how to describe that. What does that even look like? I think so. The thing with Quinn Hughes kind of like looking like he's out for a skate. I just think that's him in that I know. You know, people will say it's like flow state for an athlete, you know, where you're just not thinking about anything. You're totally in the zone. That's what it looks like for him. And I hate using this term. I had I had someone reach out to me once, a hockey former hockey player, and I had said the word cerebral. And he goes, look up what cerebral means in the dictionary and, and online and tell me what the interpretation was. And it was something along the lines of like lacking emotion, right? Like I, I, I think I, I remember that's what – like you're, you're like thinking, Like an automaton? Right? Like an automaton? Yeah, but like you're, you're, lacking, yeah. you're lacking emotion. And yeah. he goes, when you see that hockey player play, does he lack emotion to you? Mm. I said, no, he's just very no. smart and he's methodical. Yeah. He goes right there. He goes, that's the word you want to be using, methodical, right? Like you still have you still have to have a lot of passion and emotion to play a good game. And that's yeah. where I am with Elias Pettersson, where it's not cerebral because he does have emotion. He does have passion. He's playing so well, but he's For methodical. Sure. He's such a thinker on the ice. And, you know, the, the goal he scores last night off the rush, I think, is a great example of that. Gets the blue line. And it's like he knows he wants to get to the middle of the ice, but he goes about it in a way where he keeps everyone kind of on their heels thinking he could go this way. He could go back to the outside. And sure enough, he like double clutches it just enough to get his shot off in a prime enough scoring area and beat the goalie. And there's just enough on the shot. Like, yeah, cerebral, he thinks, but it's methodical, right? So I, I think that's important to point out with him. As far as like the Jack Adams goes, I think that's an interesting conversation because if the Canucks just made the playoffs, I don't know if that warrants, you know, Jack Adams. But if we're talking about a Canucks team that is like near the top of the division, if they're a three seed or a two seed, my goodness, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's like nomination worthy. And I don't even think I know that's nomination worthy. And there's going to be like you look at the standings right now. Boston's atop the Atlantic. Detroit is second in the Atlantic. Like, we'll see, like, Boston, I think, is going to be there at the end of the day. Maybe not at top, but they're going to be there. Like, is Detroit going to be there? I don't know. But if they are, like, Derek Lalonde is going to get a a look and and a lot of votes as well. So there's going to be a lot of company there. Uh, But think about this. Like, if everything goes well for the Canucks, Rick Tockett could be a nominee for the Adams. Quinn Hughes is going to be, like, I have a feeling he's going to be a top three nominee for the Norse. I just, like, with the way he's playing right now, I, I don't see, like, it's, gonna, it's, it's a, a long it's season. It's a really good class. It's a really good class, yes. but he's he's playing so well. He, yeah. he can be that guy. And yeah. I think the, the guys on Spittin' Chicklets, I can't remember if it was Whitney or Biz, had a take that if the Canucks made the playoffs, EP should be a heart uh, candidate. I think it's a great take. Like, I, I really do think it's a great take. And, and Thatcher Demko, I know you're saying he's not stand, he hasn't stood on his head. Like, through the first, you know, five or six games, the Canucks kind of like underlying numbers weren't great, but his numbers were fantastic. And it just goes back to that thing where it's like, you just do what you need to do and nothing more. Certain goalies love this. You know, they're, they're athletic, they're acrobatic, they make these crazy saves. And then other guys, they're just so clean and efficient in the way they move that the puck just seems to hit them in the yes. chest. And you're like... You, you don't get an appreciation for, for the technical work that, that goes in behind the scenes. So yeah. there could be some hardware. Like they have the criteria that fits a number of categories. I, uh, I know you're a defenseman, but one of the storylines to this Canucks season, it seems like we're talking about it on every rink-wide game, is the traffic and the screens in front. But not just that, Frankie, the shooter's ability to take advantage of the screens and the traffic in front is there an art 
to a screening a goaltender? And is there an art to picking your spot as a shooter? Because we're looking at three goals last night. Pedersen's second goal where he's loading up the one-timer, but sees the Bessers in front, takes a minute, picks his spot and hits it. And then the Lafferty and Miller goals last night. Yeah. Uh, examples where the screener is able to knock a rebound home. Tell me about the art of screening and the art of shooting when you know you've got that screen. So the thing I always heard throughout my career was coaches telling who's ever screening the goalie, take away the goalie's eyes. So it's, it was never, hey, you need to screen the goalie. It's, hey, you need to take away the goalie's eyes. And I think when you look at it that way, it just adds like a little sense of awareness. If you're the player in front of the net, like, hey, I'm standing in the blue paint. I'm screening the goalie. Actually, no, you're not because he's looking around you and he's fighting through traffic. So you have to make an active attempt to take away his eyes. So when you have that in mind, like it just, you're a little more assertive in that position. And then as far as the players, you know, shooting the puck past the screen, pretty simple. Don't hit your buddy in front of the net, right? Um, but but Nashville's like Nashville's penalty kill was interesting last night because I've seen two schools of thought on this right now in the league. There are some teams that are flying out at the half wall positions to say that's those are the best players in the league, the best players on the team. We're going to limit their time and space, and we're going to take our chances with the guys in front of the net, and we're just going to crash down. Our goalie's going to have to make a save, but we're going to give those guys the opportunity over the guys off the half wall because they're way more skilled. Nashville last night wasn't doing that. Like McDonough on the one Pedersen goal was just kind of like hung out, like just didn't really get higher than the dot, was sort of playing goalie. And you give Pedersen that much time and space with a screen in front, like that's a gimme. So good for him for recognizing that. But I wonder if Nashville sees that today and goes, all right, we're, we're not going to do this anymore. We're taking away time and space in the half wall position. All right, lastly, uh, about this alumni game, the charity game. First of all, do you know about Ronning? Do you know if he's playing? Yeah. Yes. Well, I know who Cliff Ronning is. No, but do you know about Ronning in these games? No, I have no idea. This is my first okay. Canucks uh, alumni game. If uh, he's playing... It's game seven of the Stanley Cup final, okay? Yeah. It might as well be Madison Square Garden. So yeah. I want him on my team. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Now you, because our buddy Kirk McLean doesn't want any part of the crease anymore. He wants to play out. In fact, uh, we hear a lot about defensemen playing forward, forward playing defense. Bring this is your chance to fill some nets here. Yeah. Match Petey, get a hattie. Yeah. I think the people of, of Surrey, the good people of Surrey, deserve to see me fill the net. And I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make that happen. <laughs> You've been studying Quinn Hughes. Just just go do that. Just go, go do the Hughes thing. Here, here's Quinn Hughes right now, okay? Yeah. It's like when he gets the puck at the point, it's like a three-course meal. So he gets the puck. He walks it to the middle. There's the appetizer. That's what most defensemen do. But then he, do, he does the shimmy shake, the spin off you, and that's the main course. Then he mm-hmm. walks it downhill. And he fires it in the back of the net, and it's like dessert with a little cherry on top. Most defensemen just give you the appetizer. Some give you the main course. Not everyone can put together all three meals, but Quinn Hughes can. And I'm going to try to do that this weekend in Surrey. Sam Sam Lafferty's helmet stole the dessert. I was going to say, you're Italian. You owe us the antipasto and the insalata as well. (laughs) Five courses, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Secundi. Uh, marvelous stuff, Frankie. Thank you for this. Enjoy your trip here to Vancouver. Yeah, thanks, guys. Take care.
Classic Harrison Price from Wall Center. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags, best and worst at Twitter.com. Brought to you by Jason Hominick, Jason.Mortgage. If you have a great rate on your mortgage, still need equity out of your house, Jason has a solution where you keep that great rate. You access that equity without touching your existing mortgage. Your mortgage is up in the next six months. Better reach out now. Find him. Jason.Mortgage. At Kevin Weeks. Keep an eye on this. I'm told there are ongoing discussions between involved parties for a potentially scaled-down World Cup of Hockey featuring only NHL players, perhaps in 2025, on a potential timeline between Super Bowl and March Madness. Um, keeps things intact. Doesn't involve. Doesn't mean it means they don't have to talk to the other leagues or Double IHF about it because mm-hmm. you're not going to be bringing over your very best Danish player. There'll probably be a five or six team tournament. Would be my guess. Um, enough so, that you can populate the teams from purely NHL rosters. How about enough half measures yeah. with international hockey yeah. from the league and PA? Guys, hate to break it to you. You don't do it as well as the Olympics, and people don't like your tournaments as much as the Olympics. No, it's true. It's just that simple. The Olympics, the end of the rainbow, has one of the most coveted prizes in global sport, that gold medal. Do you think um, you've got a mocked-up design trophy from Frank Geary? <laughs> do you think it changes if they put the World Cup of Hockey midseason? Rather than a September. Like, we're just not into it in September. I don't mind. September was never a problem for Summit Series. or Oh, it's true. Canada Cups. I don't necessarily have a problem with September, but frankly, I don't need it. NHL players at the Olympics, that's something I need. That's 2026. The reason why they're saying 2025, they wanted to be the first they wanted to capture the hunger for best on best, if you will. So they want to get in before they allow the players to uh, to go to the Olympics. No, no, they just want to make money. Well, yes, that, I'm saying they want to, the, but, but, but they don't. Motivation. They make less money if they're second to the table. If the World Cup comes after the Olympics, in their minds, they're going to be second to the table. They don't want to be second to the. They table. are second. <laughs> Anyways, uh, a series here on Christine Sinclair at one soccer. Christine Sinclair. Marta, two icons of the sport, exchanged jerseys ahead of the Canadian women's national team versus Brazil match. And is someone chopping onions around the studio? Because, yeah, it was emotional. As Christine and Marta went on out and greeted each other warmly, and Marta gave her a Sinclair jersey, Brazilian colors with her name on the backs. So same went for Christine with Marta. Uh, as Terry Jones, the legendary Edmonton scribe, notes, These two made their international debuts against each other at that FIFA Under-19 Women's World Championship hosted by Canada. There were games at Swangard. There were games on the island. And Brazil and Canada met in the semifinals before 37,000 people at Commonwealth Stadium. And little did we know then Mm -hmm. who we were watching and what they would go on to do. And then... uh, Follow-up, at CanWNT, sellouts for the Canadian women's national team. Toronto, check. Montreal, check. Halifax, check. Victoria, check. Vancouver, let's go five for five, Van City. It's a big house to sell out. It is a very big house 
to sell out. They'll need awful lots of promotion. And I would sure hope uh, they look at bringing in lots and lots of youth soccer groups because I think Christine deserves that. I think that's part of her legacy. And I also think the kids would get a, a kick out of it. A month to go. Mm-hmm. Can they do it? It's um, the farewell match. You will never see Christine Sinclair wear the Canadian jersey again. And I, I'm I'm going to bet we we've talked about this already, but you know more and more like she's coming off the bench for all these matches. I bet you in that last one she starts. I think you you have to. I think you have to start her. I think you remove her at some point in the second half, and basically the roof comes off BC Place yeah. when she exits for the final time. And you can only imagine the emotion that's going to be at the at play in that moment. Uh, un- underrated story from that Halifax match is um, they played really well. Um, and that, that they have not been playing super well as a whole of late, so that was uh, that was promising as well. At down goes Brown for the second time in a week, the NHL announces a second or significant punishment over an unusual story that will be major news and provides absolutely zero details as to what actually happened. Fans buy your tickets, shell out for merch, then shut up and stop asking questions. The league will have no further comment. That seems to be the closing sentence on every press release now. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 been a tough like week for the Like, if you Sens. read the press release, you have no idea why the Senators are being punished here. To you, this extent. You would have to remember everything that happened with the trade of Evgeny Dadanoff a couple of years back. Yeah. And, and the reason why... Honestly, they, what was the foul? Like it, He had a no-trade clause, and they traded him. And so when it was sent to Central Registry, and they publicly announced it, I think, too, maybe. But they punished the Senators for the Vegas to San Jose trade, or who were the two teams involved in the... Anaheim. Uh, Anaheim, right. Like, if you're just reading the press release, you have no context. Yeah. But, you know, the reason why it matters to, to the fans, why fans deserve an explanation... Is if you know fan support, um, confidence in the brand that they're purchasing in mm-hmm. is is put on shaky ground when they realize that mm-hmm. the opportunity. I mean, this this senator team is on the rise, but I mean, would you be surprised if they got the twelfth overall pick this year? Mm-hmm. No, you wouldn't. No, like why are they going to lose out potentially because they get to choose the next three years, but. Well, they're losing out on maybe the 12th overall pick in a draft, which is a nice pick. Why? But Explain the, why. Well, but the other thing that I'm unclear of is why did Dadanoff and his agent just say, no, we have a no trade? Well, How did Central Registry... I don't understand it either. ...process it? Well, that's, that's the thing. It's like, did the Senators willingly not disclose it, or was it just missed by everyone here? And if, and and if so, it's missed by everyone, the then league, you... The league owes... There's some culpability. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You have central registry. And, of course, everybody's bringing up the fact. So the Blackhawks did everything that they did. Mm-hmm. No first-rounders lost. Right. And then the other the other thing that doesn't compute here is, like, you'll remember when the New Jersey Devils were basically saved by that Josh Harris ownership group, and lo and behold, the Ilya Kovalchuk penalties went away. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure Michael Andelauer saved the Ottawa Senators. There were other bidders. But one of the stories we heard was he was always the preferred bidder. They were trying to get him 
by using the Ryan Reynolds group, up or vice versa, and Lauer held firm. Eventually, the Reynolds group bailed and uh, with some not very nice things to say about Gary Bettman, is my understanding, mm-hmm. in the back channels. And so a new owner there takes on this penalty. And I do wonder whether it's because they didn't exact the billion dollars they were hoping to get for one of the least valuable franchises in the league. Like, if he had paid the billion, would he still be losing the first-round pick? And yet, though, they they may have done them a solid with regards to the gambling suspension because the mums the word tacked there probably helps the Senators. Well, and of course, Pinto's salary will be repressed this year because the um, qualifying offer and not the contract that he could well have salary he could well have made. So when you run your league like the Sopranos ran their business, um, it's difficult to keep track of who the good guys are, the bad guys are, and which side of it you're on. Who can we lean on? Who who owes us a favor? Uh, Did they scratch our back? It's time to scratch theirs. Oh, they didn't scratch our back? Well, let's hit them. Would love to see if that, uh, well, I wouldn't love to see it given the circumstances, but if that Chicago Blackhawks Kyle Beach thing plays out in Ottawa, how different does the league react? Because it's a not a big American market city, right? Mm-hmm. With an ownership group that Gary's very familiar with mm-hmm. versus a small Canadian market with a green owner. And not only did the Blackhawks get to keep their picks going forward, it resulted in maybe Carter. a generational player. Yeah. yeah, They got fined $2 million, but I mean $2 million, two million? is a slap okay. on the wrist. Fined right? in the couch. Yeah. At Rich Nairn 9. This is from Monday. Bittersweet night as my NHL career with the Coyotes slash Jets came to an end after 27 years. I'm very grateful to have worked in the league for almost three decades. It's been an honor to work with the most amazing athletes and people and all the great media. Thank you. Uh, Naren was one of the last ties between the your Jets mm-hmm. and the uh, franchise that relocated. Uh, PR man par excellence, and I say that because he's probably had the toughest PR gig in the <laughs> NHL, especially since moving to Arizona has a terrific manner. And look, I am not saying that this is the canary in the mineshaft telltale that the Coyotes are on the move, but I do suspect the Coyotes are eventually going to be relocated. And I think when you're losing people like this, I mean, look at what this guy has been through in Arizona alone, Blake, so that, you know, he's getting out now probably says something about the uncertainty going forward with that franchise. Well, let's combine these last two um, tweets here to uh, talk about this. Gary Bettman has just been on Pat McAfee's show, and he's talking about expansion not being on the forefront. We take meetings. We listen to expressions of interest. I'm not ruling it out. We like where we are is the subtext there. We're not talking about expansion, but we are talking about relocation. You know, maybe, maybe that's... Maybe he's telling the truth with an asterisk there. Oh, we're not thinking about expansion. Oh, no. I just, doesn't doesn't no, mean... No. Truth in Batman. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Arizona Look, moving, maybe, maybe that's a different thing. Uh, I think he's got a very greedy board of governors. I think their greed has only been wet, not satiated by the Vegas and Seattle franchises. I do think they will look to expand again. I think... They do want to get Atlanta right, even though I'm not necessarily sure Atlanta ever wants or will support ice hockey. Uh, I think they know they have to move the Coyotes eventually. 
And, uh, of course, it's not without precedent that you can charge a relocation fee. And I suspect there will be a relocation fee around the Coyotes, as well as potentially yep. expansion. I will say this. I'm more and more intrigued about Salt Lake City, especially if Salt Lake City is going to get another Winter Olympics and get to host another best-on-best best hockey tournament at those Winter Olympics. Yeah. Well, it just strikes me as a better hockey market than some of the others in the southern states. Of course, they've had the HL there or different mm. minor pro leagues there. Yeah. Uh, it's a one-sport town with the Jazz who are exceptionally well supported? Because it's a San Jose model potentially, you know, like in terms mm-hmm. of that one. Well, sport. You, you and plus you also get cold there. Like it's a winter yeah. city. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know what the hockey culture is there. No, I, I'm not. Yeah, I don't. I'm sure it's lower-ish, but mm-hmm. um, but maybe there is something to but build. Before on. Before you right? go back to Atlanta for a third time, yeah, yeah. You know why? Why not? I I realize it does not have the population of Atlanta. I realize it does not have the corporate head offices. Mm-hmm. Of Atlanta, and I realize one of your national broadcasters is in base there, as Turner is. But I, I would suspect you have the better chance of a San Jose, mm-hmm. of a Tampa, in Salt Lake City than you do in Atlanta. Yep, I would agree. That's hashtags for today. Well, a very sad day here because we were just getting started. We were just finding our groove on these Wednesday weekly hits with our next guest from Canucks Conversation and Canucks Army. And that might be the last time he's introduced as such. The one and only Chris Faber, who was off to work for the Vancouver Canucks. Was it something we said? At the end of this Did we week. chase you away from this? Yeah. Could we was have been better? Yes. I was just saying, like, I think the chemistry was starting to click last week. Yeah. Last week felt like the that was our best one, and I feel like it was just getting better from there. But mm-hmm. uh, no, nothing you said. I know the same thing that Dave was saying. He's like, what did I do wrong? And I was like, well, everything. <laughs> but that's not the reason why I'm leaving. <laughs> Here, I, 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 Dave, your taskmaster ways. I'll send you the PDF to, on all the things yeah. that you did wrong. But I, yeah. uh, I, I saw you tweeted the photo of the day you came and visited us back at our old radio studio, and I, I don't, frankly, Chris, I don't remember the. I remember you contributing to every show. Faber and Nanaimo was a constant in our inbox. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how the studio visit came up, um, and you said nine months later you were at BCIT. Uh, pursuing the dream Is yeah that right yeah so i was that was um that was the night to remember jason botchford actually at uh, the sports bar and i was there for the day and you guys invited me to come in and, and see what the radio show was all about because uh you guys were aware that i was coming to that night uh to remember botch and uh yeah that was an incredible opportunity i think i even had a, a pretty good little one-liner on you matt and i was like wow yeah this radio thing's fun i like this <laughs> most do most do plenty of material um, as many have noted over 12 years, uh, anyways, we're going to do the hit here, but first and foremost, Chris, we have been absolutely delighted to watch your rise in this industry. We thank you for the collaboration that we have had here and we wish you continued success with the Vancouver Canucks. You're perfect for that gig, my dude. Yeah. Thank you very much. And it's, it's a perfect spot for me. I just feel like it's, uh, it's exactly what I want to do. I want, I've, since I've been doing this, all I've wanted to do is make 
the fandom better for the people who want to follow the Vancouver Canucks and uh, what the Vancouver Canucks are giving me the opportunity to do here is exactly that. They don't really want to change too much of the way I do things, but uh, I'm excited to see how we're moving forward here in this job. And yeah, it's it, you said it like it feels like the perfect spot for what I want to do and how I want to contribute to making uh, Canucks fans lives better. And well, honestly, you're not there yet, but do you, do you have an idea? Like you have been doing such a great job over the years of of covering every facet of the organization from top to bottom. I, I, do they still want you to to keep the people abreast of what's happening with prospects and and the Abbey Canucks and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, the amount of messages I've gotten from the folks in Abbotsford is uh, yeah ridiculous. Like they're all like, "Oh no!" Like we're not going to see you out there. Like, no, I'm still going to be out in Abbotsford. I'm still going to be covering the Abbotsford team. Uh, the prospect pool is something we want to really dive into and, and make that something that's a, a regular feature at uh, Canucks.com. And on top of that, well, obviously we're going to be covering the team, but I think the interesting thing now is going to be, you know, being able to deal with some people from the hockey ops group, whether it's uh, development coaches or scouts overseas and these type of players that are actually on the ground. Like let's see what Mikhail Samuelson actually is saying about Jonathan LeCaramacchi over in Sweden. And what are they actually on the ice working like with to make improvements to this guy's game? So I think that part's really exciting for me um to be able to continue to cover the prospects we'll see about the 3 a.m wake-ups like i'll probably still do a couple of them here and there but it's not really part of my job requirement but i'm kind of addicted to those things you're too curious you're too curious and the other thing chris is that you've brought these uh stories of a certain tone which during a really dark period for the franchise there's been a lot of losing and yet here we are six two and one after the opening month second place in the pacific and one of the top six hockey teams in the NHL by points percentage. What are you made of this? What have you made of this, of this first month? It's for a, the Canucks. Yeah. It's a great time to become a Vancouver Canuck. I'll tell you that. Uh, so, I mean, the, the month's been excellent. It's a great start for this team. And uh, a lot of it, like, uh, I think a lot of it came to show just yesterday and the way that they won that game where they didn't play their best game. They didn't play to that structure. They didn't, necessarily outplay the other team I think throughout the game but they were just able to kind of carve out a win and how often has it gone the other way for this Vancouver Canucks team over the recent memory of this team where it's like yeah they have a lot of skill but they weren't able to get over the top with the win and get two points that night yesterday felt like a lot of that skill came to show but because of the backbone of the structure of this team and their ability to just limit those grade a chances right like think about last night's game how many grade a chances were there against like not a ton. Like Demko was good at times when he needed to, and he kept them in the game. But a lot of the times in the past, in the recent memory here, the Vancouver Canucks, Demko would keep keep you in a game. But then it was like three five alarm saves that he had to make in the third period. It's just you can't stop all of those. And it just felt like yesterday was a little bit more under control. And there was certainly a change after the first forty minutes for the final twenty. Right, like that team came out in the third period and was like, "Okay, we're in this." Now let's take control to win this game. And it felt like Elias Pettersson was a leading cause there. I thought JT Miller had an excellent third period after what happened to him in the second period and all the penalty troubles that he had early on. So I, I was impressed the way that this team won yesterday because that's not a type of win that we've seen in recent memory. What did you think when Doc uh, had benched Miller? I thought that uh, it had to do something, I guess, with the unsportsmanlike conduct, right? I think that extra two minutes makes a big difference, and, and that's a difficult spot to be put in from a coach who – listen, JT Miller has been excellent this year, right? That line has been your matchup line throughout the season. And to to be put into that spot, Rick Tockett mentioned it, like they had a good talk after 20 minutes, or I guess it was after 40 minutes. And, you know, both guys were in agreement. It's like, yeah, like maybe that needed to happen. And JT's talked a lot about being an emotional player. And I think there's times where that's really going to help him. And yesterday, I guess it was a little bit of a, a hurtful thing for the team with it being a four minute double minor, but 
the two came together and that's that's like I, I just think that that relationship between Tockett and Miller is going to be so beneficial for both of them because Tockett gets it like he gets the emotion that you have to have when you're playing this game at that type of level and it just seems to be like we've joked about it and, and called him the the JT Miller whisperer but like I feel like that was an example of it yesterday he goes right back out in the third period and he was excellent and that's exactly what you want to see from JT Miller when he's riding on emotion is a guy that can kind of steer that emotion in the right direction. And I felt like Rick Tockett did that last night, just an overall good handling of the situation. And he was honest about it, right? Like Tockett came out in the media and was honest about why he benched JT Miller and why he played him like that in the third period and got right back to him. So I think being able to be a little bit transparent, like Canucks fans are smart. They know what's going on. They knew that JT Miller wasn't playing the second period and Rick Tockett addressed it. So I think you have to give props to that. And I just think that this relationship, uh, there'll be some rocky parts of this for sure. But I think right now you're seeing a lot of what's going on uh, between that player and the coach. And it's at least going all in the right direction right now with those. How he reacts over the next couple of games is going to be interesting. JT Miller, like it was just a a little, little sunburst, a little flare up here and he's back to it. I mean, they're six, two and one. There there shouldn't be a ton to be upset about if you're JT Miller. And, And I thought that at five, two and one, that's why we hadn't seen anything like that from JT Miller's because, you know, he was just feeling good about the direction of the team. Well, they were still five, two, and one in the middle part of the second period, and he still couldn't, you know, w- you know, keep his emotions in check. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what the uh, reaction is from JT Miller over the next few games. Yeah, it, some of those calls were pretty. I mean, I can see why he was frustrated. The one where the player grabs his stick. I know that one came yeah. a bit later in the game. Um, and I guess the the kind of back and forth action where it looked like he caught a little bit in the corner as well, and then yeah, his stick got up, and then obviously kind of went from there with him a little bit more pushing and shoving. I guess that's where the unsportsmanlike conduct came from because I didn't really see anything directed towards the ref. Like it felt like it was the stuff after the whistle of the penalty that gave him that extra two minutes. So uh, yeah, that that's the way that he's going to play, and I think it's it's like. It was something that Rick Tockett said yesterday, and I don't have the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of, like, like they have a quiet room, and that part helps. Like, having JT Miller be the loud voice when you're in moments like that where emotion can lift your team, like, it's good to have the guy who has a big mouth, you know, at certain yeah. points for your NHL team, uh, especially on a team that, yeah, it's a little bit of a quieter room, and the leaders, they're kind of figuring out how to become leaders in this league. And, and yeah, like, I think you can lean on that emotion a little bit and kind of if the team's behind it, at least, and you're all pulling on the same rope in the same direction like that is a helpful thing for this team moving forward so I liked how it was handled yesterday and I, and I like just how Rick Tockett explained it right like I, I do think that he's you know Stanchion had a really good article for us at Canucks Army the other day but like Rick Tockett is if I know that the winning helps but I think it's the way that they're winning is what's getting this fan base back on track with the Vancouver Canucks are you worried about what a game against the lowly Sharks looks like because th- this, yeah. this this to me is a, a bit of a trap game for this team to go on like Thunder Oh, it's well, only the Sharks. Tonkin like, said after the game, it's good to learn lessons and still win. And, you know, the first thing I thought was, well, let's hope the lesson is learned and they're not too yeah. big for their riches against the still winless San Jose Sharks on Thursday. Who are sitting on four consecutive days off the San Jose Sharks. So they were waiting for this. Like, this is the definition of a trap game, right? Like, they yeah. they haven't won a game this season. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks played them three times this month as well. So you kind of... you. You would expect six points, right? Like this is a team that's I've seen some of the writings coming out of uh out of San Jose where it's just like and even I think I saw a YouTube title the other day it was like the team I cover is embarrassing. Like and it was just like seeing these things that are coming out of San Jose where it's like, yeah, this this team's not great. The Canucks have to go in there. It's just everything is lining up for this to be a game that 
I think a lot of this is now on the coaches to have them ready for this, right? Like you're going into a 7:30 game. It's one of those little one and done road trips too. So like every like it's a perfect storm to be a perfect trap game. So if the Canucks can go in there and get a win, like you're you're kind of expecting that, I think, but you're also expecting to know that trap games are difficult for teams and the Canucks have struggled with that in recent memory as well. So you know, I guess you'd be worried about if it's just some no-name backup playing for San Jose, right? Like, that would kind of be the ultimate uh, recipe here for this to be a trap game. But for now, they should go in and beat the crap out of this team. They should. They should. They're a better team on paper. They're a better team with their structure. They're a better team overall. So they got to go in there on Thursday and have just play their game, and they'll get two points out of it. While we're talking about schedule, can we trade Saturday and Monday, please? I can't wait to see the Oilers and the Canucks on Monday. I would rather that was the marquee game on a Saturday. I think the Oilers are going to be so You've pissed got off. That, yeah, they're going to be so pissed off that the Oilers, that the Canucks have beaten them twice this season, and they're struggling. I, I just want to get through San Jose and Dallas and get to that Oilers game. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, on a Monday, right? Like, uh, yeah. that's a good start to the work week for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that'll create some some fun things to talk about on Tuesday in your lunchroom. But uh, yeah, I, I, wanna, I want that game to get going, too. I mean, Saturday night, you got Dallas in town. And I think it's going to depend a lot on what happens on Saturday night or Thursday night to see what Saturday is going to look like. And the, I mean, if this team keeps rolling right now with a 6-2-1 and one record, you go 10 games in and that first sat and that Saturday comes up and, you know, you're 7-2-1. and one, Like, I feel like the momentum at that point is almost like supporting itself in the fact that this team is playing so well, they're playing the style that they need to play to have this type of record. But now that they have the record, that's also backing up the work that they've done, whether it be showing up early, having a good training camp, all these type of things. Now it's like all the momentum's kind of blending together. And now you're just like, I think a lot of people are actually making the question, like, is this team legit, right? Like 10 games in, you could start to have the discussion. We're talking about, uh, you know, an eighth of the season in at that point. They're playing good. They've had a, a I guess, like a, a schedule where it hasn't been the easiest, right? Like they've played some good teams or teams that you kind of were ho- like expecting to be good in the Oilers with a couple of games against them. But I, I'm looking forward to that Monday game as well. Like on home ice, you got the Oilers again. And if this team's continuing to be just rolling, Canucks fans are probably going to have a lot of fun beating up on the Oilers on Monday if that's the way it goes. Well, and hey, I'll have already won a season series against the Nashville Predators. Yeah. And of course, uh, that's in the offing Monday against the Oilers as well uh chris our our poll our poll question today after the first month of the season here who's on track for an award Pedersen, hughes demko talk it i think they're all candidates so which one are which one do you think is most likely one month in yeah one month in i i think right now you'd be talking a lot about rick Tockett, and i think that's you mentioned it you could talk about all four of these guys right i think that Pedersen and hughes the way that they're producing points kind of puts them above the rest it's not like demko's uh you know at the top of the league for for many of the goaltending stats but you're seeing that with Pedersen and hughes i think they're both in the discussion but uh, no matter what i thought if this vancouver canucks team made the playoffs and we'll see that's a long ways away from now but if they end up making the playoffs rick Tockett is immediately in the conversation uh and it depends kind of where Pedersen and hughes shake down with how their seasons go but the way that they're operating right now I look at nights last night where Elias Pedersen puts up a hat trick and that's just to me a situation where a player showcases that they are elite. They're the top, they're near the top of the league as one of the best players to have a night like that. Um, I was still surprised to see that was Elias Pedersen's first hat trick on home ice, but to do it on Halloween night and have the, the, the photographs come out, I, I saw the, the goat head that got thrown onto the ice during the hat trick. Like that was a lot of fun. Uh, and just things like that. Like those are the moments that I think a lot of people look back and remember 
And maybe some of the Eastern media woke up and saw that in the morning and were like, oh, like, look at this Elias Pettersson hat trick. At least they note that down when they start to get to the point where they're voting on MVPs and situations like that. But I would go with Rick Tockett being my one that I would guess right now, just yeah. because of the fact of this whole team has turned around. Yes, they're being led by Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson, a lot of that. And they'll certainly be in the discussion if they continue to play like this. But if they're running and operating the way this team is and getting the production from the defense and bottom six and these type of things, like I, I think Rick Tockett's the leading man. Uh, and really, yeah. Uh, Tockett's only got 15 guys to compete against. I was just going to say, it yeah. is a much shallower pool yeah. to win the Jack Adams than it is to win a Norris or a Hart, for God's sakes, uh, with all the great players. And I guess it's a shallower pool, Vesna-wise as well, but... Uh, needless to say, uh, the profile of a non-playoff team being coached into the playoffs by somebody reasonably new, that tends to trend yes. with voters. Okay, buddy, one last time with feeling here. Who's our prospect of the week? All right. Well, uh, this is good for, for our show as we close out here as well, because he'll join us tomorrow on uh, ah. this conversation. But uh, Sheet Baines, and I'm not just saying that because he's on our show tomorrow. He is our prospect of the week. I do want to bring up his stats from the past two weeks here. So he's got two goals and eight assists over his last six games. The guy is producing at a ridiculous rate right now. He is currently leading the AHL in points. But over the past week, he's got two goals and five assists over four AHL games. The 22-year-old kid out of Surrey uh, has been ripping it up. Like I said, leading the AHL right now in points. Very impressive. It's, it's impressive to lead the AHL in points especially when you're a 22-year-old, right? Like, we've seen Reed Boucher rip up this league. We've seen uh, Sheldon Rempel rip up this league for this team. And, and I think it's different when it's a 22-year-old. Like, I, yeah, for sure. I, I give a lot of props to what Baines is doing. Yuri Kulik is another guy out of Rochester in the AHL who's, like, I think 19 years old. He was drafted uh, just one year ago. Uh, and he's ripping it up, scoring a lot of goals. When you see a guy in that kind of 19 to 23 range scoring like this in the AHL, it just screams NHL potential to me, right? There's a difference between a guy who's 28 and doing this and a guy who's 22 and doing this. And with our steep veins, you watch the way that he's playing. And I always say this about AHL players. You can, you can immediately tell when you watch three shifts of them in the AHL, they're ahead of the pace of play. R.C. Baines is that. He's now ahead of the pace of play, which is something that I don't think he was doing a ton last year. Like last year, he was making good passes and keeping up with the pace of play. This year, he's ahead of it. He's like the playmaking is still there. It's, it's, it's I think it's the best part of his game is how he passes the puck, whether it's in the offensive zone or breakouts in the defensive zone. All those things have been, been a strength of his. I think you could even see that when he was in the WHL leading that league in scoring. But he's added the speed. Like he has added a step to his game. It's exactly what Ryan Johnson wanted from him when he talked to him uh, heading into the offseason. He's added strength to that lower body and it's showing up in spades. Like he's able to beat defenders now around the corner. It's brought a complete different kind of view to how he attacks now. And it's something that we didn't see last year. So adding that part to his game, that's what he needed to become an NHL player. I think we're going to see R.C. Baines in the NHL at some point this season. If the Canucks needed a call-up right now, he's the guy. Like, And I don't think it's really close. Like, If they need a forward, Sheldon drives. He's scoring goals. It's great. He can play center. But if they need a forward right now at the NHL, R.C. Baines is the guy. He's got a three-point lead on the first non-Abbotsford. Two-point lead on Willana, but that's a teammate. For the closest non-teammate to him is three points back him at this early point in the season. You know who else is having a very good year as a very young player in the AHL? Logan Stankoven, who yes. could, have been, could have been the Vancouver Canuck. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, several of those yeah. out there. But <laughs> uh, as Chris has chronicled, the prospect pipeline is... Is getting better, yeah. and he'll continue to chronicle that uh, amidst his duties with Canuck Sports Entertainment. 
You're in uh, with Jeff tomorrow on Rinkwide Vancouver. Chris, thank you for this, and thank you for all the collaboration here over the last few months. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, guys. And like I said in the tweet, I I appreciate everything you guys have done over the past five years, or I guess maybe seven years if it includes reading my texts on air uh, and those type of things. Like it, uh, You guys have done a lot for... To support me joining my show in the early days as guests, you guys didn't have to do that. You took time out of your day to do that. Uh, and all the support you guys have shown over the years, I, I do really appreciate it. Uh, and I know a lot of people in this Vancouver market appreciate what you guys do uh, and have done to support people that are trying to break into broadcasting. So just thank you. Yeah, very it's all very you. kind, Chris, yeah. but it's all you. Uh, all the best. Onwards and upwards, my man. Thank you very much. One final thing, Blake, I got for you. One more Nikolai Goldobin piece before I head oh, out. Oh, Currently, Goldie is on pace right now to break the KHL record for goals in a season. So yeah. I got to do a quick little article for Canucks Army on my way out. One of our boys there, Nikolai Goldobin. Is he, he a European free agent this offseason? Can we bring him back and you reunite him with Kuzmenko or unite him with Kuzmenko? He's going to be back in the NHL. I doubt it's with the Vancouver. There is There's no player to this date that has a higher Goals for percentage as Elias Pettersson's line mate than Nikolai Goldobin. He has the if you look at every that Pettersson has ever had, no higher goal for percentage than Nikolai Goldobin as his winger. So what you're telling me is Blake new? I guess so. Gold. (laughs) Thanks, Faber. Be well, buddy. Care some price from Wall Center presentation Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Well, new partner here on Secure Some Price, and we want to welcome Betway to the show. And this is our inaugural Betway Bet of the Day. We'll each participate here in this segment daily, Blake and. I'm going with new Raiders head coach Antonio Pierce. He's a fiery, emotional guy, was as a player, is as a coach. I'm going to bet he gets a response from the Raiders in his first game on the sidelines. Vegas minus two versus the Giants. And are the Giants struggling on Sunday. All right. I'm going to go to Major League Soccer playoffs. And, of course, you always cheer against the Seattle Sounders. Always. (laughs) You're obligated by law. Uh, Go with FC Dallas over Seattle 237. On Blake's Betway bet of the day, please play responsibly. Must be 19 plus to play. Errors and omissions from yesterday's program and beyond. We dealt with this, but John Shannon watches every Vancouver Canucks game. Mm-hmm. He's a good Oliver BC boy. Should never be questioned. All the good Oliver BC boys watch Canucks games. Shout out Randy Ewell. Secondly, uh, Talkit talked about how Garland and Beauvillier were going, and I put Suter in there in the aftermath as we discussed. Suter still not going. But Beauvillier's now going for sure. And then there's, uh, he's almost got his own segment here, Gierke, 
on the BC Place Stadium reno. You had wondered when it was done, or you thought it was done later than it actually I was? I had asserted that it was later, yeah, and he... It was post-Olympics. I yes. mean, that was the great miss. That, that was the great miss, yes. They got the seats in, There's, so there was renovation for the Olympics, but the roof had to wait till after, mm-hmm. and uh, it was only only like the year. Midway through 2011, right. it was all done. Because the uh, Caps started their MLS existence at Empire, and of course, the BC Lions hosted the great guy and won. The mm-hmm. Grey Cup at BC Place Stadium. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us and Rinkwide wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social. That's Twitter, Insta, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.